Well, hi, everybody. It's Kim Winter again from Logistics Executive Group. I'm going to be your host today. Um, by all means, it's my absolute pleasure to, uh, to host today uh, Mr. Fahim Al-Qasimi, uh, who is a partner at AQ&P, uh, a senior advisory firm here in uh, UAE. Morning, Fahim. Good morning, Kim. How are you? I'm very good, and thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got a busy day on today, so we won't take up too much of it, and, and I'd like to welcome all of our, uh, our guests from around the world, all the, uh, the people that watch us here on uh, Logistics Executive TV. So, Fahim, you're a partner at AQ&P. Um, you're UAE-based, a corporate investment uh, and advisory firm, focused on the SME market. Um, so I'm really going to be interested to drill down and talk about that more today because that's quite a unique positioning around advisory. Um, you advise board of directors, founders, CEOs, and the and M&A and corporate governance in particular. I know that corporate governance is a, is a big element of what you do. The company was founded on the principles of value creation through good governance and advisors on implementable corporate uh, governance practice uh, and support transparency and, and prudent oversight in organizations. So we always like to, um, we always like to invite people to tell us a little bit about their background. I know you hold a, a number of directorships and, uh, and you've uh, had a, a fairly extensive uh, uh, education uh, career as well. So uh, what I'd like you to do is just give us a bit of a brief on your own upbringing um, and also about your way into your career to date because your career is, is quite unique in a number of aspects. Thanks, Kim, um, and, and thanks for hosting me today. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have had probably a standard upbringing. Uh, I'm Emirati German. My mother's from Germany. Uh, and after studying in the UK, came back and, and landed in, in management consulting. Uh, that led me to work in sovereign wealth, where I worked extensively on, on corporate governance for a portfolio of state-owned enterprises here in, in the country. Um, and then realized as, as my career went on that a lot of good governance practices, a lot of um, very senior, very um, professional corporate advisory was focused uh, in the multinational space. And we founded what is in essence a small family office called AQ&P that does three things. First, we work with SME founders and investors and board of directors to find out how best to implement governance practices early on. And the reason for that is that the second arm of our business, which is transaction advisories for micro deals, small businesses that sell for under $20, 25000000 million. We realize that corporate governance is, is generally overlooked in, in, in the due diligence process. Our hypothesis is that good governance leads to value creation. And the more that SMEs focus on that very early on, uh, the better set up they are uh, to have a successful transaction at the outset. The third arm of our business, as a family, we do invest um, with the, the money that we make. And we have a particular investment thesis uh, that is focused on, on, on impact, specifically in the environment, um, and invest in projects around the world that, that meet that, that investment thesis uh, on behalf of myself and my brothers. So that's AQ&P in a nutshell. Um, and really today, what we can maybe focus on um, with your audience is the importance of those themes within the supply chain. Um, I've seen uh, from my work across the globe, and you know the Kiwi connection, my wife is from New Zealand, um, have been very fortunate to see how these practices happen across the world and how we can bring that to uh, such an, an important hub in the supply chain uh, here in the region. Awesome, well thanks for that. It's a, it's a really uh, 
very broad spectrum upbringing and, and experience that you've got. And, and it tra traverses a range of different uh, sectors and elements, I know. And as part of your role, you're also a member of the Executive Council of Sharjah, one of the Emirates here in the United Arab Emirates, and uh, you're the chairman of the High Committee for Digital Transformation. Just like to uh, do a bit of a deep dive on the, on the digital piece. Um, I happen to have uh, interviewed uh, a couple of people uh, here in, in the UAE who are involved in businesses that you have involvement in, or your organization has been advising on. Um, and uh, they, they tend to have this very heavy digital uh, transformation and digital involvement. Tell us a little bit about your interest in digitization and how things are progressing uh, here in the Gulf in that, in that regard. Let me, um, if you allow me to sort of share a personal anecdote. Um, you know, I've got two, two young boys, uh, twin boys that, uh, that are, are turning three. And as a parent, you tend to ask yourself, I'm preparing them for a world in, in 2038, uh, where they will hopefully join the workforce and, and become successful uh, professionals in whatever they choose to do. And we're very fortunate in the information age to, to have to think about what the world will look like in 2038. I'm sure you can agree with me, Ken. I don't, I don't know what 2022 will look like, let alone 2028. <laughs> let alone 2021, right? <laughs> uh, but what I can say is that there are some mega themes that, that I focus on uh, personally and professionally that I'm confident will still exist. Um, challenges that, that will still need to be overcome. Uh, and I'll just touch on a few of those. Uh, one of them is the adoption of technology and the continued digitization in our life and in the business world, use cases for technology to make our life more transparent, more efficient. Another element will be the environment. Um, and then, you know, if we look at, you know, our, our industries today or in some of the businesses that we've invested in is the continued reshaping of supply chains as globalization continues to, 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 to evolve. And when you look at those things, it's very clear that any successful forward-looking strategy will really look at globally shaping supply chains or evolving supply chains, its impact on the environment and the adoption of technology uh, to make it work better. Uh, and that's where we're heavily focused. So whether advising government uh, on digitization or investing in companies that are out there uh, to change the, the, the world of supply chain, like Seafood Souk that we invested in as AQ&P, um, or looking at uh, ways in which that we can use technology in our philanthropy portfolio uh, and make sure that we're, we're deploying capital um, uh, for, the, for the largest amount of impact. Um, we use technology in every single one of those verticals um, and using technology today to be better investors, to be better advisors is, is a theme that I don't think is going away anytime soon. Yeah, sure. And you mentioned seafood soup there and we interviewed well, probably four or five months ago now, Sean Dennis, who is uh, one of the founders uh, of the, the group of organizations that are founding and partners in that organization, as, as I believe you guys are. Um, and that you seem to be picking it right because the, the, that organization has gone from strength to strength. The UAE, of course, from a federal perspective and from a, a state perspective, Fiji, the Emirates, is very committed to food security. And this year has only highlighted the need for, uh, for food security. And there's been a number of significant uh, strategic uh, directions from the leadership of the country in each of the Emirates and from an investment point of view around food security. How do you see, um, how do you see that playing out in the next year or two? I think that 
for those that know me and Kim, you know me well, I'm, I'm honest to a fault and I'm not afraid to share my very um, sometimes opinionated uh, perspectives on, on, on things. Food security is, is extremely an, an important part of um, the success of our world going forward or the sustainability of our world going forward. And the interesting part today is that we're, we're not short of food supply. I think that's one thing that I can um, hand on heart say that there is enough food in this world today, but there are always some trade-offs. One of those trade-offs is the environment. So really, instead of talking about the supply chain, but talk about the value chain, um, we have to first talk about the trade-offs when it comes to extraction, whether it's fisheries, when we talk about seafood souk, or using land for, for agriculture or, or rearing animals. The, the challenge that we face is that globally we waste about north of 20, 25% in the supply chain. Um, the cost of food and the movement of food, uh, for me personally, is, is going to be the, uh, the most important point of focus in food security. Um, political disruption, uh, challenges with food security before have not been because of a lack of food. It's been because of the increase in price of food. So if we can make sure that we transport food effectively, reduce waste within the supply chain, um, have people access nutritional security in the long term by leveraging technology, um, I'm sure that we'll see a far more stable world when it comes to access to, uh, to food and nutrition in that sphere. Well, thanks for that. I, and I know you, uh, you, you've got a big, uh, big part of you is, is very focused on, uh, from a philosophical and a cultural point of view, and a business point of view around sustainability and environmental factors. Um, and that's not just um, the Facebook snaps that I've seen you freeing, freeing uh, various animals from deep down in the sea and, uh, and posting those up. So well done on those. Um, with the, from getting to the point of sustainability, uh, the Emirates, again, is showing extremely strong leadership around from both a federal and a, uh, each individual Emirate position of leadership around sustainability. Um, we're seeing enormous, enormous investment around uh, re reusable energy here, um, enormous investment uh, about uh, food food uh, sustainability in itself. Um, there's, there's huge new projects taking place with a very heavy technology um, bent. Do you, do you see that continuing and, and do you see this as being part of an overall strategic view or is it something that's been brought on by the, by the emergence of the, of the pandemic? No, I think if you look at the post-2008, after the global financial crisis, I think people realized more and more the pressures that we were putting on our um, environmental, economic, and social systems. And I think that allowed... Uh, or, or promoted the emergence of a, of a wider discussion on sustainability. And I would ask anybody watching or listening now, uh, when I say the word sustainability, what's the first thing that comes up? And the immediate one is the environment, um, based on the fact that the media has, has really pinpointed the challenges that we face when it comes to extracting resources out of our planet. The, the other elements that we focus on and, and other elements that I encourage businesses to look at, because this is a business problem today, is to look at social sustainability and economic sustainability uh, as themes going forward. As AQ&P, when we advise our clients, is to really look at uh, a reassessment of, you know, what is the most important thing today for, for a business? Is it really shareholder return today? 
or is it the longevity of a good corporate citizen that is a business? And more and more with younger founders, it's the latter. Um, we can post double-digit growth and double-digit profitability, um, but time and time again, we've realized that the stresses on our environmental, economic, and social systems means that we need to relook at that relationship, the business world with society and the environment. Uh, when we advise our clients, that starts with good governance, that starts at the board level, the interface between shareholders and, and the management of the business. And I think today, when you look at structuring an investment portfolio for the long term, you will start thinking more and more about, am I investing in a good corporate citizen here, or am I investing in an opportunity just to make some money in the short term? The more these discussions emerge, um, the more they are tested, and the pandemic was a test of that, that investment thesis, the more you realize the increase of capital that's going into um, thematic investment portfolios, whether it's impact or it's ESG, environmental, social, and governance. Um, but the overarching umbrella is, is this idea of sustainability as the wider term rather than just sustainability in terms of the environment. Sure. Yeah, and speaking to that point uh, around foreign direct investment and uh, where where it's coming from and the, and the history of that, I mean, you've you've got a fairly significant um, background in, in the UK. You're educated in in Cambridge and, and other places. Um, you've also had a connection, as you say, with New Zealand through your family. Um, as you know, our organisation has a uh, corporate advisory firm and a um, and a trade facilitation organisation has linkages with various governments here and, uh, and encourages companies to come and set up here. I, I think you'd agree that setting up a business here now for a foreign entity is way, way much uh, easier than maybe what it was 10 or 15 years ago, yeah? Totally. I think you know, where, where logistics executive is placed is in a very important um, pain point of, of all of those challenges that I mentioned before. Um, a dear friend, uh, once said that you know a lot of the pressures that we've put on those systems that I mentioned earlier were created by were created by businesses, and now it's on businesses to solve that. Where the UAE is well placed as a hub for the region, as, as gateways between you know East Africa, Central and South Africa, to Europe, to to Asia, um, the solutions to those systems today is in is in that supply chain and is in having businesses making more strategic choices in where they choose to be placed to be able to, to overcome those challenges. Um, if we were to do the same exercise that I did with where my children would, would work, um, if you were to try to predict what a supply chain would look like in 2038, I'm pretty confident that it'll be far more dislocated. It'll be far more diversified, um, segmented uh, across the value chain between um, natural resources, value-added services, and where our key markets are. Um, and iterating that over the years, we'll continue to see uh, a proliferation of supply chain companies uh, leveraging those strategic hubs. Um, and your work is, is testament to that, just showing how many of those big firms have decided to, to really become global players because it's a global challenge that we're trying to solve. Sure. And, and, and I guess to your point uh, about the region here and in particular the UAE being a very sophisticated hub to you know, this massive area of the world that you were talking about, the CIS, India, up to the Mediterranean, certainly throughout all of Africa, as well as the GCC, of course. Um, are you seeing, um, since the pandemic started and since there's been a lot more talk about the lack of or the, the need for companies not to be so reliant on 
central manufacturing uh, areas such as North Asia. Um, are you seeing more interest from organisations wanting to come here as a, as a nearshoring or a re reshoring centre to, to reach that, what is effectively about a quarter of the third of the world's population within a fairly easy reach of this area? Yeah, I definitely think that uh, the, the largest global test to our existing supply chains um, was this pandemic. And I think that if you were to look at a, a business plan um, today or, or an operational plan for a logistics network, uh, there's some key test points that you would, you, you would do or, uh, look at. And those key tenets today would be um, the resilience of that supply chain in the face of a pandemic. So you would actually look at security of, of natural resources and, and where you could actually access components or, or whatever it is that is in your value chain. Um, the second then is the stability of the, the actual network um, and to see where your, your, your reach could be um, in line hauling, trucking, in, in shipping, in, in aviation. Um, and then last but not least is the ability to pivot between markets when market dynamics shift. And I think that was probably the biggest change that we saw in, in the pandemic with some of the companies that we were advising and invested in, um, which is your ability to pivot to markets when things happen. And it's not, not specifically um, only you know, COVID-19 or the pandemic. Um, I'll give you a very clear example, and, and, and I hope I'm not breaking confidentiality, but I was speaking to a trade minister in a particular country um, that had uh, an aquaculture farm in their country that had one client. Their entire, uh, their entire sales were basically focused on one client, and that client was, um, uh, was Hong Kong. And it wasn't the pandemic that, that closed the Hong Kong market for a significant period of time. Um, and that uh, aquaculture project, that, that farm in this country, uh, very quickly had to seek out other markets to be able to maintain revenue. And this is where, you know, if we try to tie all the dots of our discussion today, where if we continue to look at um, the pressure on economic, environmental, and social systems, if you focus on digitizing the supply chain, that allows you to pivot and have that sustainability as a business. You're, you're once again, rather than shareholder return, looking back at that business today, you would ensure that while you may not see the same return, while it may be a little bit more costly to serve a diversity of, uh, of, of markets or, or a diversified set of clients, um, you would reassess the sustainability of your business and say, well, let's make sure that we have access to many different markets. And while we may not be hitting the same returns in the face of any stress to those systems, we, we would continue to operate. It's a long-winded way of saying, I think the world will re-look at um, how concentrated they are and where their, what their risk register looks like post-2020. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, our corporate advisory side of the business is seeing significant uh, expression of interest about setups here, about startups and transferring of uh, operations into this region. And I've got to say that the, uh, the government, again, from a federal uh, level down, has been very consistent about its messaging about uh, how well the rails can be greased to set up operations here now. So I think it's going to be a very significant, if we, look, if we need to look for silver linings out of a pandemic, and it's certainly for this region and this country, it certainly is one. Listen, I know you've got to go, and, um, but I, I do want to get a couple of quick, quick fire questions and answers from you. Um, I always ask our guests these two questions and very interested to get the answers from you about the, you're an employer, you've advised many companies. What would be the two or three things that you would be looking for when staff are looking to come into any of the organisations that you're responsible for? What are the two or three things that are important to you? 
Uh, I think for me, number one is uh, transferable skill sets. Uh, today, especially when you work with SMEs and young companies, um, I look at people that have had a, a diverse um, set, of, set of skills or, or experiences. Somebody that has been so focused in one area today um, is not going to be uh, as useful in the long run. What I see is convergence of where um, you know, your finance team can understand what the tech team is doing, for example, or where your sales and business development team have really had good exposure to um, strategy in the background so that they can draw those links. So what we try to make sure we do is have far more fluid teams. Um, and, and in order to have fluid teams in the organizations, we, we look for really diversified experience um, in, in, in that sense. So that would be uh, number one. Uh, number two is international um, uh, experience. Uh, today, we work in a global firm, whether you know, you're a startup or an SME or a multinational, the aim is always to go global. So the ability to, to work uh, across different markets is extremely important. And when I look at somebody that we're bringing onto a team, my first question is, could I put this in front of one of our clients? You know, could I put this person in front of one of our clients in the CIS? Or could I send this person on a flight to Mauritius and speak to you know, ministers there for some of the work that we're doing in Seafood Soup? If, that, if the answer is yes, then, then it's, a, it's a clear win. Okay, awesome. Thanks for that. And the final quick, quick fire question is, if you are going to be giving advice to entrepreneurs or startup uh, executives looking to get into uh, any particular market from anywhere in the world, general question, uh, what would be the two pieces of advice that you would give them as they're venturing to start up a business? Um, don't follow the crowd would be number one. I've said this <laughs> time and time again. Um, you know, uh, I'll give you an example, a clear example with Seafood Soup. While the world was focused on B2C e-commerce that has been developed into a very fragmented world with two, three key winners. Um, we went one step further up the supply chain and, and yeah. built an e-commerce solution for that. Um, I would encourage people to uh, look at value chains going forward, specifically as they've been tested post-pandemic, um, and look at the pain points in those value chains because the, the, the success of business going forward is solving business problems and not necessarily consumer problems. So that would be number one. Uh, number two is to really understand that um, copy-paste technology is not going to be innovation of the future. To try to create a business that, you know, and I invest in a few in the UAE, um, I don't look for, uh, we are the X, but for the Middle East. You know, this has been developed in Asia, and now we're trying to just do the same thing, but a Middle Eastern version of it, or a US technology that's basically adapted for the region. What I look for, and once again, using Seafood Souk as an example, is a company that could only have been created out of the UAE. Um, a company that relies on the hub uh, that, that the United Arab Emirates is to connect regional markets um, and have that as a, as a key success factor. So Seafood Soup is one of those companies that is creating tech from the region for the world rather than bringing tech from the world to the region. Fantastic. Uh, look, Fahim, Your Excellency, Fahim Al-Qasimi, really do appreciate your assistance today and giving us some insight, taking some time out. I'm sure our audience uh, has gained some great insights from what you've had to say today. Uh, we wish you well for the rest of the day. Shukran, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Everyone, thanks so much, Ken. Good to see you. Thanks a lot. Cheers.